Chapter Twenty Three of Ronicky Doone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Rowdy Delaney, Idaho, USA. Ronicky Doone by Max Brand. Chapter Twenty Three. Carolyn takes command. Ruth left the gaming house of Frederick Fernand entirely convinced that she must do as John Mark had told her, work for him as she had never worked before. The determination made her go home to Beekman Place as fast as a taxicab would whirl her along. It was not until she climbed to Carolyn Smith's room and opened the door that her determination faltered. For there she saw the girl lying on her bed weeping, and it seemed to the poor, bewildered brain of Ruth Tolliver as if the form of Ronicky Doone, passionate and eager as before, stood at her side and begged her again to send Carolyn across the street to a lifelong happiness, and she could do it. Though Mark had ordered the girl to be confined to her room until further commands were given on the subject, no one in the house would think of questioning Ruth Tolliver if she took the girl downstairs to the street and told her to go on her way. She closed the door softly and, going to the bed, touched the shoulder of Carolyn. The poor girl sat up slowly and turned a stained and swollen face to Ruth. If there was much to be pitied there, there was something to be laughed at also. Ruth could not forbear smiling. But Carolyn was clutching at her hands. He's changed his mind? she asked eagerly. He sent you to tell me that he's changed his mind, Ruth? Oh, you've persuaded him to it? Like an angel? I know you have. Ruth Tolliver freed herself from the reaching hands, moistened the ends of a towel in the bathroom, and began to remove the traces of tears from the face of Carolyn Smith. That face was no longer flushed, but growing pale with excitement and hope. It's true, she kept asking. It is true, Ruth. Do you love him as much as that? More than I can tell you, so much more. Try to tell me then, dear. Talking of her love affair began to brighten the other girl, and now she managed a wan smile. His letters were very bad, but between the lines I could read so much real manhood, such simple honesty. Such a heart, such a will to trust. Ruth, are you laughing at me? No, no, far from that. It's a thrilling thing to hear, my dear. For she was remembering that in another man there might be found these same qualities. Not so much simplicity, perhaps, but to make up for it, a great fire of will and driving energy. But I didn't actually know that I was in love. Even when I made the trip west and wrote to him to meet the train on my return, even then I was only guessing. When he didn't appear at the station, I went cold and made up my mind that I would never think of him again. But when you saw him in the street, here? John Mark had prepared me and hardened me against that meeting, and I was afraid to even think for myself. But when Ronicky Doone, bless him, talked to me in your room, I knew what Bill Gregg must be, since he had a friend who would venture as much for him as Ronicky Doone did. It came over me in a flash. I did love him. I did indeed. Yes, yes, whispered Ruth Tolliver, nodding and smiling faintly. I remember how he stood there and talked to you. He was like a man on fire. No wonder that spark caught in you, Carolyn. He, he's a, 
very fine-looking fellow, don't you think, Carolyn? Bill Gregg? Yes, indeed. I mean Ronicky. Of course, very handsome. There was something in the voice of Carolyn that made Ruth look down sharply to her face, but the girl was clever enough to mask her excitement and delight. Afterward, when you think over what he has said, it isn't a great deal, but at the moment he seems to know a great deal about what's going on inside one. Don't you think, Carolyn? These continual appeals for advice, appeals from the infallible Ruth Tolliver, set the heart of Carolyn beating. There was most certainly something in the wind. I think he does, agreed Carolyn, masking her eyes. He has a way, when he looks at you, of making you feel that he isn't thinking of anything else in the world but you. Does he have that same effect on everyone? asked Ruth. She added, after a moment of thought, Yes, I suppose it's just a habit of his. I wish I knew. Why? queried Carolyn, unable to refrain from the stinging little question. Oh, for no good reason. Just that he's an odd character. In my work, you know, one has to study character. Ronicky Doone is a different sort of man, don't you think? Very different, dear. Then the great inspiration came to Carolyn. Ruth was the key, which she knew could unlock nearly any door in the house of John Mark. Do you know what we are going to do? she said gravely, rising. Well, we're going to open that door together, and we're going down the stairs. Together. Together? But we... Don't you know John Mark gave orders? That I'm not to leave the room. What difference does that make? They won't dare stop us if you are with me, leading the way. Carolyn, are you mad? When I come back, you're not coming back. Not coming back? No, you're going with me. She took Ruth by the arms and turned her until the light struck into her eyes. Ruth Tolliver, aghast at this sudden strength in one who had always been a meek follower, obeyed without resistance. But where? she demanded. Where I'm going. What? To Ronicky Doone, my dear, don't you see? The insistence bewildered Ruth Tolliver. She felt herself driven irresistibly forward, with or without her own will. Carolyn, she protested, trying feebly to free herself from the commanding hands and eyes of her companion. Are you quite mad? Go to him? Why should I? How can I? Not as I am going to Bill Gregg, with my heart in my hands, but to ask Ronicky Doone, bless him, to take you away somewhere, so that you can begin a new life. Isn't that simple? Ask charity of a stranger? You know he isn't a stranger, and you know it isn't charity. He'll be happy. He's the kind that's happy when he's being of use to others. Yes, answered Ruth Tolliver. Of course he is. And you'd trust him? To the end of the world. But to leave? Ruth, you've kept cobwebs before your eyes so long that you don't see what's happening around you. John Mark hypnotizes you. He makes you think that the whole world is bad, that we are simply making capital out of our crimes. As a matter of fact, the cold truth is that he has made me a thief, Ruth, and he has made you something almost as bad, a gambler. The follower had become the leader, and she was urging Ruth Tolliver slowly to the door. Ruth was protesting. She could not throw herself on the kindness of Ronicky Doone. It could not be done. It would be literally throwing herself at his head. 
but here the door opened, and she allowed herself to be led out into the hall. They had not made more than a half a dozen steps down the dim length when the guard hurried toward them. Talk to him, whispered Carolyn Smith. He's come to stop me, and you're the only person who can make him let us pass on. The guard hurriedly came up to them. Sorry, he said. Got an idea you're going downstairs, Miss Smith? Yes, she said faintly. The fellow grinned. Not yet. You'll stay up here till the chief gives the word, and I got to ask you to step back into your room and step quick. His voice grew harsh, and he came closer. He told me straight, You're not to come out. Carolyn shrunk back, and she was on the verge of turning when the arm of Ruth Tolliver passed strongly around her shoulders and stayed her. She's going with me, she told John Mark's bulldog. Does that make a difference to you? He ducked his head and grinned feebly in anxiety. Sure, it makes a difference. You go where you want, any time you want. But this, I say she's going with me, and I'm responsible for her. She urged Carolyn forward, and the latter made a step, only to find that she was directly confronted by the guard. I got my orders, he said desperately to Ruth. Do you know who I am? she asked hotly. I know who you are, he answered, and believe me, I would not start bothering you none, but I got to keep this lady back. I got the orders. They're old orders, insisted Ruth Tolliver, and they have been changed. Not to my knowing, replied the other, less certain in his manner. Ruth seized the critical moment to say, Walk on, Carolyn. If he blocks your way, She did not need to finish the sentence, for as Carolyn started, the guard slunk sullenly to one side of the corridor. It ain't my doings, he said, but they got two bosses in this joint, and one of them is a girl. How can a gent have any idea which way he ought to step in a pinch? Go on, Miss Smith, but you'll be answered for. They hardly heard the last of these words as they turned down the stairway. Hurrying, but not fast enough to excite the suspicion of the man behind them. Oh, Ruth, whispered Carolyn. Oh, Ruth. It was close, said Ruth Tolliver, but we're through. And now that I'm about to leave it, I realize how I've hated this life all these years. I'll never stop thanking you for waking me up to it, Carolyn. They reached the floor of the lower hall, and a strange thought came to Ruth. She had hurried home to execute the bidding of John Mark. She had left it, obeying the bidding of Ronicky Doone. They scurried to the front door. As they opened it, a sharp gust of night air blew in on them, and they heard the sound of a man running up the steps. In a moment, the dim hall light showed on the slender form and the pale face of John Mark standing before them. Carolyn felt the start of Ruth Tolliver. For her part, she was on the verge of collapse, but a strong pressure from the hand of her companion. Told her that she had an ally in the time of need. Tut tut, Mark was saying. What's this? How did Carolyn get out of her room? And with you, Ruth? It's idiotic to keep her locked up in there all day and all night in weather like this, said Ruth, with a perfect calm that restored Carolyn's courage almost to normal. When I talked to her this evening, I made up my mind that I'd take her out for a walk. Well, replied John Mark, that might not be so bad. Let's step inside and talk it over for a moment. They retreated, and he entered and clicked the door behind him. The main question is where do you intend to walk? Just in the street below the house. 
which might not lead you across to the house on the other side? Certainly not. I shall be with her. But suppose both of you go into that house, and I lose two birds instead of one. What of that, my clever Ruth? She knew at once, by something in his voice rather than his words, that he had managed to learn the tenor of the talk in Caroline's room. She asked bluntly, What are you guessing at? Nothing. I only speak of what I know. No single pair of ears is enough for a busy man. I have to hire help, and I get it. Very effective help, too. Don't you agree? Eavesdropping? exclaimed Ruth bitterly. Well, it's true, John Mark. You sent me to steal her from her lover, and I've tried to steal her for him in the end. Do you know why? Because she was able to show me what a happy love might mean to a woman. She showed me that, and she showed me how much courage love had given her. So I began to guess a good many things, and among the rest, I came to the conclusion that I could never truly love you, John Mark. I've spoken quickly, she went on at last. It isn't that I have feared you all the time. I haven't been playing a part, John, on my word. Only, tonight I learned something new. Do you see? Heaven be praised, said John Mark, that we all have the power of learning new things now and again. I congratulate you. Am I to suppose that Caroline was your teacher? He turned from her and faced Caroline Smith, and though he smiled on her, there was a quality in that smile that shriveled her very soul with fear. No matter what he might say or do this evening to establish himself in the better graces of the girl he was losing, his malice was not dead. She knew that. She was my teacher, answered Ruth steadily, because she showed me, John, what a marvelous thing it is to be free. You understand that all those years I have been with you, I have never been free. Not free? he asked, the very touch of emotion in his voice. Not free, my dear? Was there ever the least wish of yours since you were a child that I did not gratify? Not one, Ruth. Not one, surely, of which I am conscious. Because I had no wishes, she answered slowly, that were not suggested by something you liked or disliked. You were the starting point of all that I desired. I was almost afraid to think until I became sure that you approved of my thinking. That was long ago, he said gravely. Since those old days, I see you have changed greatly. Because of the education you gave me, she answered. Yes, yes, that was a great mistake. I began to see. Heaven, one might say, gave you to me. I felt I must improve on the gift of heaven before I accepted you. There was my fault. For that, I must pay the great penalty. Kismet. And now, what is it you wish? To leave at once. A little harsh. But necessary, if you will it. There is the door, free to you. The change of identity of which I spoke to you is easily arranged. I have only to take you to the bank, and that is settled. Is there anything else? Only one thing, and that is not much. Very good. You have given me so much, she ran on eagerly, that you will give me one more thing, out of the goodness of that really big heart of yours, John, dear. He winced under the pleasantly tender word, and she said, I want to take Carolyn with me, to freedom and the man she loves. That is really all. The lean fingers of John Mark drummed on the back of the chair, while he smiled down on her, an inexplicable expression on his face. Only that? he asked. 
My dear, how strange you women really are. After all these years of study, I should have thought that you would, at least, have partially comprehended me. I see that is not to be. But try to understand that I divide with a nice distinction the affairs of sentiment and the affairs of business. There is only one element in my world of sentiment that is you. Therefore, ask what you want and take it for yourself. But for Carolyn, that is an entirely different matter. No, Ruth, you may take what you will for yourself. But for her, for any other living soul, not a penny, not a cent will I give. Can you comprehend it? Is it clear? As for giving her freedom, nothing under heaven could persuade me to it. End of chapter 23